This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's catch up on what's going on in the news with Canadian Press Weekend News Editor Michelle McQuig. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. Michelle, let's start with a story that's been bubbling for some time, and that's significant strain on children's hospitals. Over the weekend, Mm -hmm. we had a couple different stories come from a few different places. Let's begin in eastern Ontario at CHEO, the Children's Hospital of Eastern Ontario in Ottawa. What's going on at CHEO? A lot is going on at CHEO, as is the case with children's hospitals everywhere in Canada, as I think will become pretty clear by the time we're done with this one. Uh, What we're about to describe is not isolated to any one region or province even. Uh, CHEO has been under a lot of strain with a wave of pediatric illnesses for quite some time. They've had to open another emergency room, redeploy a lot of staff, uh, cancel some elective appointments and surgeries and all kinds of measures. And yet they're still struggling under a massive wave of illnesses. And so as of uh, this coming week, the Red Cross is actually going to be coming in to help, which is a very unusual move for a domestic situation like this. What are staff having to say about the prospect of the Red Cross uh, working in the hospital? Uh, Well, the the hospital wasn't offering a whole lot of comment over the weekend. Uh, I think there's a certain degree of of welcome for the fact that there's going to be some relief happening. Uh, They're saying that the Red Cross will be able to come and offer some clinical support, which might allow some staff to return to their original positions since they've been redeployed to deal with this massive surge. Uh, but the fact is that everyone has just been going all out for, for mm. weeks now. It's been at least a month, uh, probably closer to two, in fact, that there's been a, a massive wave of children's illnesses. And it's a, it's a triple threat. There, there's three things contributing. There's COVID, of course. There's a seasonal flu. And there's also a bit of an outbreak of RSV going around. Mm-hmm. So it's those three in in, in combination uh, that are really driving this particular wave, not just at CHEO, but everywhere else, too. Yeah, the RSV is just ripping through daycares right now. And it's ripping oh, yeah. through households as a result of my friends got wiped out for almost a month uh, with the RSV, which is uh, oh. pretty, pretty intense. Uh, Mich- I, I don't know any parents who haven't gotten dinged with this one, either with themselves or their kids yeah, uh, over the past month. Al- like. Almost any kid that's in daycare is, is is bringing something back. I know I was I was hanging out with some parents on the weekend who said uh, their sons had three viruses in the last 12 weeks, which is uh, pretty, pretty intense. Oh. Uh, uh, now, Michelle, as you mentioned, this is not just isolated to the eastern Ontario region or anywhere in particular. There was also some jarring news coming out of Alberta for their children's hospital in Calgary. There was, and this one, yeah. Um, So both the children, the the primary children's hospitals in in Alberta, both of them in Edmonton and Calgary, have been operating at or over capacity for for at least a few weeks, just like everywhere else. Um, And over, uh, it was late on Friday that the Alberta Health Services, the, the government department responsible for such things, announced that they were going to be redeploying and almost effectively shutting down temporarily uh, children's palliative care and respite center so that the staff could be redeployed there to help out at the children's hospital in Calgary. Uh, they're still going to be providing services, but any of them are going now going to be temporarily relocated to the hospital itself to have the staff on site. They're pausing new admissions. Uh, this is uh, not a move that will go over very well in Alberta. It's a, a sign of how desperate that is because this is a dedicated children's palliative care center. 
but that's what they felt they've had to do in order to maintain some capacity at the at the Children's Hospital in Calgary. Michelle, let's shift gears here from uh, disease and hospital strain to something happening in Montreal, a really neat UN Biodiversity Summit that's taking place in Montreal, somewhat by surprise. Uh, that was not the initial a plan. Bit, yeah. But but Michelle, <laughs> it's it starts tomorrow. Let, let's look ahead to what's on the agenda at this biodiversity summit. Sure. Well, you're right, Dave. This was something that kind of came together. It wasn't even supposed to necessarily be in Canada. China technically is in charge of the biodiversity uh, aspect of, of the climate change efforts at, at the UN. They were supposed to host this. But uh, as we talked about on Friday, they have very stringent COVID policies in place. And those rules would have not made it impossible for them to host this and welcome the hundreds and thousands of, of delegates from around the world that are expected to pour in for this. So uh, since Montreal is the home of the UN Biodiversity Secretariat, that's where this conference is going to be held. So you have a number of delegates and organizations pouring in to discuss biodiversity. No world leaders per se. Uh, Justin Trudeau will be there tomorrow to offer some opening remarks. But uh, beyond that, no other world leaders, just environment ministers are going to be mm-hmm. attending from around the world. So that's that's a bit of a, a, a dimension we can come back to, if you like. Um, there's a lot, a lot, a lot on the table to discuss and a number of goals they want to achieve. But the bottom line is that the, the, the hope is that there's going to be a consensus similar to the Paris Accord of 2015 with the end game of protecting 30% of the world's lands and oceans. <laughs> Whatever that means precisely is, uh, is, is a little bit up for debate, but yes, that's, that's the As number. As ever with any of these COP conferences. Yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's the number they've come with. Yeah, Michelle, I, I think it's worth noting that maybe there is going to be a lack of world leaders here. But it's not all the way uncommon at some of these COP conferences. For example, certainly in Cairo a couple of weeks ago, we saw that there was some presence of world leaders, but really only for a day or two. And otherwise, it was a lot of bureaucrats, a lot of top level environment bureaucrats who will attend these kinds of events. The the people who have the expertise to to make the decisions or, or bring them home. That's very true. And there's a couple of schools of thought on this. And some people, I'm sure, will feel that not having the world leaders there to distract with their presence and the, the sort of pomp and circumstance that comes with that is, might be a good thing. Others uh, is even in have already gone public, <clears throat> in fact, saying that they see this as a bit of a concern, that sometimes having the world leaders there offers negotiators a bit of an extra push to get things done rather than quibbling over details. But uh with these competing schools of thought, I guess we'll have to see what happens. It's difficult. It's always a bit difficult to quantify the outcomes of these uh, of these conferences, mm-hmm. uh, especially when they have so many uh, points to discuss with so many different parties. But they are going to be there for the next couple of weeks. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're going to protect a third of the world's lands and oceans. We don't know which lands and oceans yet, but we're going to protect a third of them. Well, we'll decide who gets to be protected. Uh, I'm, I'm being facetious. I'm sorry. I should be I should be more. <laughs> I should okay. be more earnest in the way I talk about these things. Uh, Michelle, let's move on to one more story here. And this isn't necessarily breaking news. We knew a couple of weeks ago that the Girl Guides of Canada were going to change the name of their brownies age group to something different. Michelle, we finally know what the options are going to be that are being put forward to a vote for members. We sure do. Uh, Little girls who are going to be joining the younger guiding program in the years to come will be called either embers or comets. Those are the two names that the Girl Guides narrowed it down to. And uh, those two names have now gone out to the membership for a vote. Uh, They've got another week or so to cast a ballot for this, and they're going to be announcing the results next month. I feel like Comets is going to win, but I like the name Embers. I think there's something about Ember that like really fits. 
I, I agree with this. So the guides provided a rationale behind these two names. I don't know any of the back uh, the discussions that, or other contenders that were on the the short list, but with these two. Uh, they're saying they pick comets because, and, and I'm quoting their language here. They say they they uh, basically they capture attention as they as they travel through space, boldly blazing a new trail. And the rationale behind embers in their language was that they are small and have the potential to cause a powerful flame. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you on embers, I have to say, but uh, we'll we'll see where this goes. Um, interesting too to note why they're considering a change like this. Uh, they wanted to drop the name brownies because of the name and the connotation for racialized uh, members of the community. So they wanted to come up with a name that was perhaps a little more inclusive. And next, we're going to we're going to change to vote to change my last name to Comet or Ember, David Comet or David Ember, just because you know Brown Brown can be perceived the wrong way. Uh, Michelle, so long as they keep selling cookies, they can call themselves whatever they want. Fair enough. But if <laughs> Take note, you got a good, good order at Don Mills and Lawrence, guys. Yeah, yeah there you go. Exactly. Hey, if they want to line them up outside, I'll buy from every single one of them. I love those, especially the maple the vanilla chocolate cookies. Ones are the, oh, oh yeah. I haven't tried those. Well, so, well uh, you know, like when you would buy the typical traditional box, it would have chocolate on one side and like the vanilla yeah. on the other side. But now, they got a, now they got a maple one? Well, I, I, I just I just call it maple vanilla. I, it's probably just vanilla vanilla. <laughs> See, I'm a sucker for the mint chocolate ones. Those the, are great. You can always sell me on mint chocolate as well. Hey, Michelle, thank you for this. We will talk to you on Friday for the news panel. I think we're going to do a little bit of a year in review. All right. Well, I look forward to it. Have a great week, Dave. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.